We felt bad for Supergirl. Her cousin forcing her to remain in hiding didn't sound too much like a loving family to us, but there was a more pressing matter at hand. Seemingly out of nowhere, Kara had lost her powers. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. All right. Uh, we're back with the Girl of Steel. And honestly, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this for Ooh. a specific reason. Huh. All right. And it okay. kind of, okay. it, it's not like these are particularly good. The quality of these are not like, oh my God, like these were so entertaining. There's a little bit of a, of a historical um, and noteworthy situation that occurs that I want to really discuss that will be very obvious. Um, we're only talking about 12 issues today, which is a year for those of you who don't know and haven't been familiar with the podcast. Um, you get one issue a month. Specifically, these are stories that are showing up in Action Comics because Supergirl still doesn't have her own book, but she is showing up as a backup feature in Action Comics. And uh, when last we left, we stopped in 1961. And uh, that's fine because this year that we're going to cover is 1961 to 1962 uh, to January of 1962 specifically, which is where we're stopping with everybody. Um, and Joanne, I promise that this is going to, this is going to fit, but I might go a little over time specifically because this is the first time there's actually kind of a story arc. Yeah. So it's, that's, that's kind of like, this will fit into the normal time frame, but this will be our first time other than the Batman year one story that we did one time way back in the, in the day, um, that we'll be doing an actual arc. So let's just jump right into it in Action Comics number 272, January 1961, to Action Comics number 273, February 1961. These two stories and these two issues are basically Supergirl finds uh, another planet that is pretty much exactly like Earth, except for some subtle differences. They refer to it as Terra. And on that planet, there is Marvel Maid and Marvel Man. Now, Marvel Maid is just an exact lookalike version of her with the exact same powers, who is the Superman of her world and the Superman of Marvel Maid's world, Marvel Man, is Marvel Maid's subordinate. So basically it's role reversal of Supergirl and Superman. And instead of being from Krypton, they're from a very hollow Earth scenario. Thanks again, gentlemen, uh, for continuing that longstanding tradition of gross, weird conspiracy theories about hollow Earths. We just double check to see who wrote these again. Um, auto uh, binder. So it's a, at least it's a lot the of auto binder. He says, yeah. Uh, Jerry Siegel as well. Yeah, it's usually auto binder. Jerry Siegel. They're pretty much on and off most of these for uh, for the majority of this, but it ends up being mostly Jerry Siegel near the end of this year. But yeah, uh, Supergirl does this because Superman's like, well, yeah, you can be Supergirl out in the open in another planet. I just don't want to alert my enemies here. So she finds another world where she can essentially do what she would normally do as Supergirl, but without being caught and using this planet to prove that she can be trusted to be out in the open with Superman. Um, it's a, it's a two part story where basically she just helps Terra the planet a lot while Marvel made is off on another planet, stopping a, a planet wide forest fire. So Supergirl and Marvel man have been, stopping catastrophes from happening and and they're not 
they're not not stopping them, but they're also not stopping them without issue. Certain things break and possibly screwing a couple things up or Supergirl doesn't know that the the bridges on Terra, instead of being drawbridges, sink under the boats that are trying to pass, you know, in the shipping lanes as opposed to opening up and letting the ship pass. Like things are it's just like kind of a backward E sort of world without being bizarro world E. Um, it doesn't really convince Superman, but he says, like, you know what, you're still doing a good job, and I can see that you're definitely improving. That's about it. We then go to Action Comics number 274, March 1961. Supergirl goes back in time and basically supermans to help famous women, Annie Oakley, uh, Betsy Ross, and Pocahontas. So both all three of these women, in some form or another, are in distress, and Supergirl essentially takes their place and does something as them. Because she can there's a report that she's doing at the orphanage about famous women and she goes back in time to see if she can see them in person and in doing so see finds them at inopportune moments when they're having like a bad day or some major distress is happening in the case of pocahontas and she saves them or helps maintain their reputation as like the greatest at whatever it is it's the first time it feels really jerry seal yeah the first two-parter definitely had that feel but this is oh here's like the action comics slash uh world's finest structure of how many wishes yeah there are three people i need to visit it's very much let's go back in time and help the three musketeers action comics number 275 april 1961 uh she dreams that she's found by the kents on earth instead of superman's basically she dreams that she lands on earth before clark and it's just a whole dream sequence of her living out her life as if she were adopted by the Kents in Smallville. Which is, look, we don't have a real clear understanding of what the status of Jonathan and Martha Kent are right now, um, because we're not. We didn't read Superboy, and we, you know, in Superman, they haven't really explained. But it appears that they're dead. I thought that was the case as well. Yeah. I get. I very much get the heavy implication that Jonathan and Martha Kent are dead, and that's why she can't live with them, and why she's at the Midvale Orphanage. Otherwise, I was like, why the fuck isn't she with the Kents? Like, clearly they would be the best parents for her, right? But I guess not. Um, I think it's through the first crisis that they stay dead, and then it. I think it's on the reboot because well, if I remember rightly, like in the initial first appearance of Superman. Uh, uh, that whole sequence ends with or has them being dead as part of it and him going to the city. I might be misremembering though. Well, we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> Truth. That's what the podcast is for. Uh, action comics, number- <laughs> confirming dead relatives, the DC detectives <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, all right. I mean, private yeah. investigation. Yeah. It's part of what we do. Action Comics number 276, May 1961. Three girls from the Legions of Superheroes come back to uh, recruit Supergirl. Finally, they give her a second chance. Because remember last time she was there, Red Kryptonite made her age up and she was no longer young enough to be part of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, Point of clarification, these aren't actually the Legion of Superhero members that Superman is with. These are the children of those members of the Legion of Superheroes. So they kept the same names as their parents and they look eerily similar to their parents, but they're not the exact same kids. Um, while she is, you know, doing her tryouts, she meets Brainiac 5. Hey, that character's going to be important for the rest of the Legion of Superheroes' existence. Um, Brainiac 5 is essentially the descendant of Brainiac, the actual, um, Kaluan villain of Superman. 
the guy who shrunk Kandor and goes around collecting cities. Um, Brainiac is believed dead, according to Brainiac 5, as per a fight with Superman. And Brainiac 5 is spending basically his entire life making up for the atrocities that Brainiac did. So he's a good guy. Him and Supergirl hit it off. Maybe kind of sort of dating whenever she's in the future. That's kind of not really important. But she has a second love interest now. Instead of just Jero, the mermaid, she now has Brainiac 5 in the future. So she's got a present day aquatic mer boyfriend a future legion of superheroes boyfriend and uh she's just you know everything's coming up kara uh, oh and she also joins the legion of superheroes this time and she's a member and now she's then she flies back in time to be back on earth in the present day action comics number 277 june 1961 crypto and streaky try to compete for supergirl's affection it's a very stupid story for these two characters just basically do a bunch of things to each other to try and make the other lose um, and we find out that while they're doing this on some barren planetoid that they can no longer hurt anybody, it's actually like Mr. Mixius Pitalik's, uh, clubhouse for his weird trickster gang that he's a part oh, of. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Cause like weird shit is happening to them. Like streaky suddenly grows very large and then like crypto is much faster than he would normally be. Or like they start seeing hallucinations and they find out that there's just like an animal in the basement of this planetoid, just touching buttons. That's causing all these things to happen. And they're like, Oh, this must be Mr. Mixius Pitalix. Just like summer home. That's why it's weird. It was the, the, the most nonsensical story. Oh, and then also super monkey shows up the first time we've ever seen super monkey oh, which God, is just like right. some sort of monkey that i guess was in the rocket with superman that kara kind of offhandedly explains and now there's streaky super monkey and crypto the super dog hooray for all the superman pets and i'm i'm gonna dig into this a little bit more as part of the wrap-up but we're gonna see this kind of again and again that deus a machina uh i've got a better term in it for it in here somewhere and i don't remember but i'll get to it at some point but purpose of plot twists that only exist uh oh that's right it's twists poor uh performa yeah uh, twist for the sake of there being twists yeah i like that twist performa and they come out of nowhere yeah just like an rko hey a wrestling joke uh, <laughs> we still got them folks uh yeah so yeah that was a very twist performa I like that. I like that. We'll use that from now on and uh, purpose of plot sort of a thing. Um, now we're going to get to the big meat of this episode, which is these five issues here. Action Comics number 278 to uh, July 1961 to 282, November 1961. So 278 to 282. Kara takes care of Earth while Superman is away um, doing some stuff in the fourth dimension. And he says like, hey, I'm going to I think you're ready for me to finally reveal you to the world. I've made this whole like video package a la the WWE's video package performance situation. Um, and it looks really great. And there's awesome storyline improvements to show that you've been helping Earth in secret. And it's going to be a great way to introduce you to the planet. Um, I just got to take care of a thing. I'll be right back. And while he's gone, Supergirl, still in secret, helps the planet with a couple of things. Um, and a green sort of mist of kryptonite ring surrounds the planet at some at a, at a certain point um basically think of like one of saturn's rings a saturn ring appears around earth and it's a kryptonite gas ring and it begins to take all of her powers away so she goes underwater where she can't be affected and with the help of laurie lamaris superman's ex-girlfriend mermaid and jero supergirl's boyfriend 
mermaid kind of sort of she's seeing him um they stop all this crime from happening from under the ocean and everybody's happy because the green ring of kryptonite dissipates a superman comes back and he's like awesome let's go reveal you to the rest of the world and suddenly supergirl has no powers and that's kind of where it's left is now she's powerless and an actual non-superpowered orphan living in midvale what we then see in the next issue is a woman named Lesla Lar, or Layla Lar, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce this, in Candor. Remember that bottled city that Brainiac shrunk that Superman keeps in the Fortress of Solitude? Lesla Lar, I guess, is an evil scientist for reasons unknown. For the purpose of plot, she is an evil scientist in Candor, is frustrated that Supergirl is getting all of this attention and adoration on Earth, and she is the one that takes Supergirl's powers away via a kryptonite ray that she develops on Kandor. And she uses it by shooting Supergirl, who is on her TV screen. She doesn't actually aim it at Supergirl. She just shoots the picture of Supergirl. God about that. And that takes her powers away. And I'm, you know what? I'm going to gloss over that fact. I'm not even (laughs) going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about how that doesn't work for death rays or or changing beams or power stealing rays. We're not going to talk about it. But suffice it to say, Lezalar takes away Supergirl's powers, and this is the explanation to why Supergirl's now depowered. Now, her plan is, because she looks oddly like Supergirl, I guess, blonde hair and all, she wants to take the place of Supergirl, go to Earth out of Kandor, use her then her then realized powers, because she will be under the gravitational pull of Earth and not the falsified gravitation that is similar to Krypton and Kandor, and so she'll have superpowers, pretend to be Supergirl, and get rid of Superman so she can conquer Earth. This is a very roundabout plot that she's had that she has. So she switches places with Supergirl, gives Supergirl amnesia, makes Supergirl think that she is Lesla Lar, and then goes to the orphanage where Supergirl had been adopted by a very lovely family, um, and is now living with this these these two people. Um, so she is now living at this this house with these two lovely individuals who've adopted Supergirl or Linda Lee. And she's like, perfect. Now I have to start figuring out what I need to do to take over the planet. So she goes to Lex Luthor, convinces him to build her basically a kryptonite death ray that will take out Superman or convinces him to do that. And then she says, what I'll do later when she goes back to her home, I'll, I'll frame him for it kill him with the machine then superman will be gone and then i'll have the planet all to myself still kind of a lot of steps but she's getting there she's a mad evil scientist character um the only downside is occasionally linda lee who is now pretending to be lesla lar in candor is like kind of sort of figuring out occasionally that she's not lesla lar so lesla has to keep switching places with her back on earth so linda keeps going like wow those are wacky dreams that i'm having of living on candor aren't they and then goes about her daily business being an unpowered teen again this goes on for a while as superman begins to think like hey maybe i can like get your powers back somehow you know what if we take you to the past and see if you have powers then so superman takes supergirl real supergirl back to the past to like the 1800s and she has her powers and he's like okay cool stay here for a while while i figure something out so she does a whole issue of saving people in uh jamestown essentially and then she's brought back to the present doesn't have her powers and he's like okay okay we're on to something here 
And then the next issue is they go to the future and she helps a bunch of people in the future with her new powers again. And Superman's like, okay, something's clearly happening in the present where you where you're affected by something that's preventing you from having powers. We'll figure this out. Meanwhile, Lesla Lars like, if she doesn't stop fucking time traveling, I can't switch back to her and I can't do my goddamn plan. She needs to fucking stop. Lesla Lars getting increasingly pissed off that Supergirl keeps tra- time traveling. And in the midst of all of this, the the Kandorian police find out that Lesla Lar is, I don't know, shooting unwarranted or unauthorized power stealing rays and they arrest her. <laughs> so Lesla Lar's plan is is kaput for no other reason other than she was found out and Supergirl just wasn't around for her to switch bodies with. And Supergirl's back now on Earth with still no powers. This is like four issues of Supergirl not having any powers anymore and being like bamboozled and amnesiac because this other super character has been messing with her brain. Finally, uh, in the last issue of this, in, in, in uh, 282, she's like, boy, howdy, wishing well, I wish I had my powers back again. And apropos of nothing, for the purpose of plot, Mr. Mixia Spitalik is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mess with Superman in a really obscure and weird way. Since no one knows that Supergirl exists, including Mr. Mixia Spitalik, he goes like, look at this poor girl pretending to be Superman. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give her powers and an invulnerability to green kryptonite. That'll show Superman. He'll be super pissed off because he won't be as strong as this girl. Gives <laughs> Supergirl powers and effectively makes her stronger than Superman. And that's how she gets her powers back. For no other reason other than Mr. Mixia Spitalik is just being spiteful and a little jerk. And that's the whole you know- arc. <laughs> <laughs> you know how there's the sentence the saying uh stranger than fiction yeah sometimes truth is stranger than fiction the reason that you can get away with that is because truth isn't beholden to the idea that it has to make sense yeah so you may get the implication that i am saying that these stories do not make sense yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. is a correct implication yeah yeah, yeah. so most oh. streamlined version of those five issues supergirl loses her powers because an evil scientist in Kandor wants to be her and take all the credit for being Supergirl and conquer the Earth. In betwixt this occurring, that scientist gets arrested. Supergirl still has no powers. She time travels a couple times, and then Mr. Mixius Bidalik gives her more power than she had previously and makes her immune to kryptonite. That's that's what happens in five issues. Then the next two issues, uh, 283 and 284, which take us from December 1961 to January 1962, Happy New Year. Um, Superman's like, cool, I guess you're immune to kryptonite right now. I have to take care of some stuff, but like, I'll be back. Don't, don't blow the planet up while I'm gone. And then bails. So as... Supergirl, Linda Lee, when she didn't have powers, she got adopted because she's like, there's no reason for me to not get adopted anymore because I don't have to keep a secret, so I guess I can be adopted. And she gets adopted by a very nice couple. Um, They're very good to her. In the midst of all of this, she changes her hairstyle because the readers voted on it. She gets a different hairstyle right now. Um, She no longer has the pigtail. She has a short cropped hairstyle that's kind of like to her shoulders. And she gets a boyfriend like a like not like Jero or Brainiac 5 who are love interests that she sees when only she is in the ocean and or in the future we're talking a legit boyfriend that she goes on dates with now this guy happens to be the same dude who thought she was supergirl 
in the very beginning when she was at the orphanage. I believe his name is uh, Dick Wilson. Uh, Dick Wilson's the kid's name. He's the kid at the orphanage who was the first one to try and draw some corollary between Linda Lee being Supergirl or being superpowered. Um, and he, I guess, is like hot now. And now that they're both not orphans, like they're into each other, it's not really explained. It's more so just like, oh, look, man meat. And here we are. <laughs> and it's awesome. Like, I was like, yeah, good for you, Linda. Get a, get a hot non-mermaid, non-weird, half-android boyfriend. Live your life, girl. <laughs> it's such a weird uh, thing. W- uh, hot, a hot, healthy homebody? Yeah. Yeah, he seems... Would you uh, say that she has found her Triple H? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would <laughs> say she's found her Triple H. Um, he's very kind of like hazy. Like, he looks like he means well, but he says some some douchey stuff in the midst of their conversations occasionally that's like, come on, man. But also, like, he's 16, so I don't expect him to be, like, you know, the best boyfriend ever. Um, but he treats her very well, and they have this cute little romance. So while Linda is dating this guy and she's immune to kryptonite, she notices while Superman's gone that um, red kryptonite meteors are heading towards the planet. And she's like, oh, I'll just go destroy those because I'm no longer, you know, vulnerable to kryptonite. So she flies out into space and blows up these six red kryptonite meteors. And then she's like, all right, cool. See, I'm fine. Nothing's happened to me. As she goes to meet Dick at, um, not to be confused with Dick Grayson. This is Dick Wilson. I don't want anyone to get confused. Not that we've talked about the Boy Wonder recently, but still. Uh, she's about to meet Dick Wilson for a date at the carnival. Remember, kids, nothing good ever happens at a carnival, circus, or uh, anything like that. Or festival of some sort. Um, any any large gathering of people in tents, stay away from. Just don't pay for admission. Don't pay for admission. Anything if where that's necessary. If there's a big top, bail. Alright? Don't, <laughs> don't do it. And Linda... Supergirl, Kara Zor-El, whatever you want to call her, begins to feel strange. And over the next two issues, she deals with six different side effects to the red kryptonite meteors that were delayed because her immunity to green kryptonite didn't make her immune to red kryptonite because Mr. Mixia Spitalik didn't know that red kryptonite existed and was only thinking of green kryptonite when he gave her that power. So... That is legit the loophole they give. I didn't make that. That's legit the explanation is that that's why she's still vulnerable to red kryptonite and begins to go through six different changes and hallucinations while under the effects of red kryptonite, ultimately ending in her getting her normal powers back because Mr. Mixius Pitalik's magic wears off. And I guess Lesla Lars science ray wore off too. And here we are at the status quo of zero again, where she has all of her powers back and nothing's a problem, but now she's adopted and has a boyfriend. Um, and then Superman's like, wow, you've got your powers back. And I guess you're vulnerable to kryptonite again. She's like, yeah, it's super weird, right? This is like the, the worst. This is the worst. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what. We're finally going to reveal you to the rest of the world. And my favorite part of this was the editor's note on that page of like, no, we're not joking. This is not a dream. This is not a hoax. We are not pulling your leg. We're actually going to do it now. <laughs> Which makes me think that they are getting the most angry letters to the editor about this for the last like two years and they're like no we're, we swear to god it's happening we promise we're not we're not fucking with you anymore she's going to be revealed and that is the end of the story coverage that we have but just a just a lot going on just a lot happening <laughs> it's 
Okay, so I want to I want to put a little uh, uh, epilogue on that statement that they're promising it's for real going to be revealed. Yeah. Uh, God, let me see if I can find this. Okay, so the way this whole arc starts, so on the splash page for the first issue in this arc, in this story arc, which feels strange to say. Yeah. Um, it does the Romeo and Juliet thing of let me outline the entire story of this story arc. And at this stage, it's not clear that it's going to be a story arc instead of a single issue uh, story. So maybe, maybe when they initially wrote this, they thought it was just going to be covering like, okay, what happens in this issue? But the line is, uh, uh, he will announce her existence on Earth to the world. Great, eh? But then fate steps in, and the world's mightiest girl is amazingly forced into uh, anonymity again. I can't read that exact line. But, I mean, I sure read that as they're probably going to reveal, and then something's going to happen, and Jeannie's going to go back in the bottle. Maybe their plan changed after they wrote that, and maybe the writing just wasn't... Uh, in line with what they wound up planning on, but yeah. I have to believe they're going to go back on this. Yeah, probably. Um, but you brought up a good point that, you know, it's weird to say story arc when talking about these comics, specifically the silver age. And that's what excited me the most is we had yep. five issues of a status quo change, Supergirl losing her powers for five issues. Now, the only problem with that story arc was it didn't go anywhere. Supergirl mm. never met Lesla Lar in the in the sequence of events that oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, she God. never fights her. Oh, she God. doesn't even like because whenever she switches places with her, Lesla Lar like does it so that she's like unconscious and then feeds her subliminal messaging to brainwash her. So they never actually meet face to face. So Supergirl doesn't even know that this is happening. So for five issues, Supergirl loses her powers, doesn't know that the dreams she's having of Kandor are actually the events occurring when she is under subliminal messaging and has amnesia, and then goes back to Earth when she still has no powers. Now, granted, again, she gets adopted and now has a boyfriend, so we have a definite status change for her being an orphan, from from being an orphan with two long distance in the past or underwater boy you know love interests to she's got a straight up boyfriend dick wilson who's also an orphan who who got adopted um they see each other like it looks like almost every day or twice a day like they do stuff in the morning and then maybe they'll go on a date at night um her parents are really sweet people um they're i've never heard of these characters in the history of me reading supergirl ever or not Supergirl so much as just comics in general. I've never heard of these two individuals. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Fred Danvers. Okay. So this oh. is when she becomes Kara Danvers. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot that. That her really? and her and Captain Marvel she, have the exact same name. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Well, also she huh. shows up before Captain Marvel, 1961. Mm, yeah. True. So she, so Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel steals two DC things. <laughs> which is dumb True. as hell that's yeah that is yeah. dumb as hell anyway um so yeah mr and mrs danvers are the two that adopt her very nice people um they seem really cool no no nefarious plot to them like previous characters who have adopted her um but yeah so you've got these these adopted parents the new boyfriend no longer an orphan loses her powers and gets them 
that's a lot to happen in five issues. And again, the only issue, the only problem I have with it is she never actually confronts Lesla Lar. She is an unforeseen, she is an unseen, unknown enemy. Supergirl doesn't even know any of this is happening to her aside from losing her powers and then suddenly getting them back again for no reason other than Mr. Mixius Pitalik is weird. So that's weird, right? Like all of this is just like a strange story arc. Um, and I will point out, uh, while she is on Candor, we see the first, the first that we have seen, because we can't find back issues of Superboy, appearance of the Phantom Zone. Huh. Yeah, I guess so. So while she's on Candor, she watches a public sentencing of a criminal, and that criminal is put into the Phantom Zone. And I was like, um, the scary monster limbo hell? that the Kryptonians invented? Are we not going to talk about that? And I, thank you, Dr. Internet, looked it up. The Phantom Zone actually does appear for the first time in 1961 as well, just in adventure comics in Superboy. So this literally is probably one of the first instances of the Phantom Zone being shown just in a different book by a different writer. Just a heads up. Um, And we also get, like I said, the haircut change of... Linda Lee, Supergirl's alternate identity. Now, I'm going to read off the names of these hairstyles, and I want you to tell me which one you think she picks. Now, that the that the, the readers pick. Uh, this is the whole page. Yeah, I, I I'm going to take a page, I'm going to take a picture of it and put it on somewhere, probably on the Instagram. But this is a whole page, and the page reads, "Pick a new hairstyle for Linda, Supergirl, Lee." Do you like the pigtail she now wears, or do you prefer one of the styles below? Let us know. Your votes will help us decide which style to choose. The editor. Probably Julia Schwartz. Now, here are the ones that we have. Ponytail Sophisticate. The Lori Lamaris Special. Campus Cuddle Bun. Contempo Cut. Or the Kitten Cut. Which, in parentheses next to it, has Streaky. Don't know why. Now, the Ponytail Sophisticate has her putting on makeup with a ponytail the Lori Lamaris special has her basically she looks like Lori Lamaris Superman's ex-girlfriend the mermaid but she's on the phone I guess um campus cuddle bun is just like a generic haircut but she's got books in her hands the contempo cut I guess which is supposed to be like the hip youngster cut if she's listening to a record um and she actually looks good in that personally I would have preferred that one it's kind of like a shoulder-length hair that kind of like flares out a bit um and the kitten cut which is a pixie cut it's just a pixie cut uh and she's holding streaky (laughs) that's that's what they call it the kitten cut i suppose (laughs) is she's holding a cat um what the fuck (laughs) honestly the thing that stands out most to me about that is how weird it is to have a 16 year old character who some readers are unfortunately shipping with her cousin Ugh. have as the name of one of the possible hairstyles. Oh yeah. This is based off your girlfriend. You used to love. Yeah. Oh God. That was weird. Now that was weird. Granted the fans, all 20,000 of them, it says in one of the issues, um, picked campus cuddle bun. And that is her new hairstyle. Um, thankfully it's not the Lori Lamar special. <laughs> Um, yep. It, it's definitely different than the pigtails. 
Um, and the and the narrative reason they give is Mr. Danvers, Fred, says, like, you should get rid of the pigtails. You're not a child anymore. And so she goes, like, cool, we'll do it tomorrow. And then she just goes up to her room and changes her wig. And she's like, just kidding, and the next morning. And she's like, I did it myself. And they're like, oh, wow, you look great. <laughs> we'll never talk about this ever again. <laughs> That's basically the reasoning that they get, gave in the uh, lettering uh, letters to the editor columns. Uh, for a couple months, they'd had people mess- just writing in of, Hey, like she looks like a kid. Yeah. I mean, she's sixteen. She'd she should be dressing a little more hip. And there's a little bit of that sort of casual nineteen sixties misogyny of, oh, like every member of the fairer sex wants to have like up to date on uh, trends, mm-hmm. which issues. Uh but it, it really is pretty consistently that she just looks a little young for sixteen. I'm also glad uh, which am- is a little weird, but I am glad, though, however, they had her change her hairstyle. Yes. Because she's the one that changes it. They don't go to a stylist with her parents to change her hair. She decides what she wants it to be like. The fans just happen to be the hand of God in that scenario. But Mm -hmm. Linda, Supergirl, picks in canon the Campus Cuddlebun hairstyle for herself. And I like that, at least. If anything, it gives her agency and what she feels like she wants to look like. Yeah, in universe, she has that power. Yeah, which, I, which I'm cool I agree with. with you. That 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 is a good perspective to bring to this. Yeah, which I like about that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's just a <laughs> just a whole slew of stuff. And and you know what? After seeing a certain panel in one of these, there was definitely a moment where I was like, "Is he gonna kiss his cousin?" Superman is holding Kara by her chin, and they're like, Hal Jordan, Carol oh. Ferris distances apart. And it's like, bro, reel it in with your art here, sir. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a lot of lot of interesting things as far as storytelling conventions with, with the story arcs. Um, I was very impressed that they were able to do that for five months. Yeah. You know, comparatively where we like justice league Gardner Fox, arguably one of the better writers at this time can't or doesn't do more than two part stories. The Supergirl mm-hmm. team is like, let's just do like five, five issues where she has no powers. Let's drastically shake up the character and see what we can do. Now was kind of a swing and a miss, but they still swung. And I respect that. Um, But it also is like, wow, yeah, we're trying new stuff now. The story medium itself is attempting to go to a different, like, let's make some drastic changes and see how well they stick. So I think that's it for me. What notes do you have? Might as well just go in on the deep end. Um, Yeah. I'm... It's a ball of emotions right here, and there's absolutely (laughs) tension uh, between different viewpoints, because... I'm I'm with you like it's not just that this is a multi-part story it's at least in structure it's the kind of open-ended continuity that we see uh it's it's a little bit less uh here is a single story arc even though it does wind up having a lot of that structure it has an equal amount of and then this happened and it changed 
and then we introduce this next thing that happens that's all sort of building on each other rather than being uh, related episodes rather than being uh, part of a single story arc. But on the flip side, like then there's the way that they do that. Uh, Siegel, I just have written down, Siegel cannot end a fucking story. Yeah, he really doesn't uh, know how to do that. And I think one of the reasons, not the only reason, like because the stories that are self-contained that we see throughout the rest of this are also terrible at ending but i think he is also writing himself into a corner because he is it almost seems like he's trying to write in the old uh superman radio serial style where you start the episode with the last third of the story that you started last time and then you do the first two thirds of a new story and then have a cliffhanger except this is a little bit less like that and more like i guess lost where uh you'll have a an episode and stuff gets revealed and then the last little bit of it is meant to be a lead in to new revelations uh, in practice though what he winds up doing is he'll write oh hey this story runs for like two thirds of the full length and then the last third is and then here's a complete twist that we introduce out of nowhere that sets up the next story and it's not like a cliffhanger into the next one it's more just oh what are the details of this revelation? And none of the none of the revelations have any weight. Uh, like, I mean, you heard our reactions when we talked about, uh, oh, this was just Mr. Mixia Spitlick uh, deciding at the exact moment to, I'm just going to fuck with Superman out of nowhere. It, and then police raids out of nowhere. It's... It's a combination of Siegel can't end. He just has pro forma twists. And also because this is based, this, this story sequence is based around progressive revelations. It means that none of the revelations mean anything. It's okay. Yeah. Here's the thing that happened, but you're not grounding it in any way. It, I'm not even like entirely sure whether like, it may be that this is just the structure of these of this series going forward. Like we haven't, neither of us have read further forward. Like it's very possible that not only will the continuity, like the the changes in status quo, continue to be in place, it's entirely possible they just like okay, let's start another ten, five, ten issue string of these, and it just kills me that this is the first real. Like, capital C continuity. Like, the visual I had was Killmonger holding up the unconscious body of an editor. Is this your continuity? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not even, like, an actual, like, real attempt to do something with her character. It's just like, let's take her powers away and see what we can do now. It's, you know... I, I like like we we said earlier we're happy that she got she gets adopted and she gets like a boyfriend that's a genuine status quo shifting but that could easily just be her moving to a new town the weight of that change is not heavier than the fact that they tried something more drastic like taking her powers away and that didn't stick and it it doesn't help that Siegel can't stay focused uh, for instance, uh, 283 has Supergirl, uh, Supergirl dreaming about revealing herself, uh, setting up a date, smashing red kryptonite meteors, then dealing with the first meteor, then the second, then the third. 
And it would be one thing if like the focus was on the counting wishes part of the story, but it's that starts on page five of a 13 page story. Like one of the saving graces of world's finest stories that we were reading for all that they had like, Oh, five wishes. Like they got to the wish portion really quick. Yeah. Like it was, it was very clear where the, the energy of the story, the focus of the story was going. And then the twist at the whatever twist at the end happens. And then there's a very brief denouement and done here. It just, there are so many pieces that are unrelated, but not even unrelated under the same umbrella. It's like, it's not just, Oh, the three meteors are entirely self-contained under the umbrella of meteor. It's also, okay, there's a date that's getting set up and all right. Yeah. Let's spend some pages on that. Yeah. The way that I describe this, cause let's like, we, I don't know that we've said it in this episode, but Siegel is one of the two who came up with Superman. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, it's very nearly impossible to overplay how important that is, how much a foundational creator he was. You can make good arguments that that act of creation is more impactful than everything that Stanley did later on. I don't know if that's the, an accurate statement, but you can certainly make that argument. And this is just it's shit writing. Yeah, the, yeah. It is structurally unsound. The way that I d- described it in my notes was it's like it's like years later watching one game from a home run king during a season where he was not a home run king and realizing that a uh that that batter probably had worse or more bad seasons than good seasons and b there was probably a little bit of luck or something else involved in that one good season anyways it, i i can't crown Siegel for what he did with superman if what more consistently he put out was stuff like this yeah anyways i finished <laughs> when i finished reading last night it was just rage rage and frustration all right. Uh, I have other like scattered notes. Shall I go through those, or go ahead? Do we need to dwell on this a little longer? No, I think I think there's not much else to be said other than they can't all be jams, you know. Yeah. Some people like Every, Gardner. Uh, some people like Gardner Fox get better. Some might actually get worse, or yeah. some may not have had much to begin with, and it's harder to say like, "Wow, you're really good," when there's nothing but his work standing out. Let's see. What else do we got? Um, this one entertained me. Uh, <clears throat> one of the early stories in this chunk, uh, the story was titled The Supergirl of Two Worlds. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I guess uh, seven months later, we're going to see that title reused for the much more important Flash of Two Worlds. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, we're coming up on. So Yeah, we are. I'm excited. Yep. Uh, I found this entertaining. Uh, the alternate Earth that they went to, that you went to uh, all the way on the other side of the galaxy, uh, is called Terra. And I just find it entertaining that there's another instance of a mirror world where Earth is called Terra yep. five years before Star Trek debuted and probably five to eight years before the uh, mirror universe was introduced. 
Um, I just, I just want to briefly mention this. Um, so the splash page for the story that has, uh, Supergirl going back and meeting, uh, Pocahontas and other famous women in history. Yeah. Like that splash page is, Oh, it's, it's straight up. Like I'm going to content warning, say some words, uh, Indian savages. Uh, there's, uh, like a quote unquote witch doctor character in a mask uh, pointing at Supergirl. Uh, she's being shot at. Uh, she's tied up to a stake uh, while a fire's lit under her. There's just all of that going on. And then later on, uh, there's there's some light fat phobia uh, when uh, the first meteor, uh, first red kryptonite meteor takes effect on her. She basically becomes a human blimp. It's it that one especially like doesn't lean too far into it, but it sure felt like, you know, neither of us are qualified to talk at length about either of those marginalized groups, but uh, be aware, like Siegel is probably not doing that great on that score. And that's probably all we need to say about that one. Yeah. But it's, it's the sixties. Yeah. It, yeah. And for all that, so many of these comics have done the bare minimum by just not showing characters of color, which on the one hand sucks. On the other hand, it means they're not completely screwing up. Uh, on the other hand, when some, when a writer does decides to include uh, characters of color and marginalized groups, they're not going to do great on a slightly lighter note, except not because it's also a bit macabre. Uh, there's a bit where, Clark Kent needs rescuing and this, Oh, this might've actually been from a Superman comic, uh, in the same issue rather than one of the, uh, uh, Supergirl stories. So Superman needs help from Supergirl and from the Superman emergency squad, I think, which is a squad of Kandorians. So there's a sequence of a whole bunch of little Supermans cause they're all dressed up like Superman <laughs> and Supergirl saving Superman from, uh, I don't remember what it was, but I'm sure we'll they see it. Have, <laughs> they have to come help because his first choice, the robots can't help because someone is trying to assassinate Superman and they know about the robots. So they set up basically like wireless jammers, uh, to so that they don't they can't uh be properly directed by superman but the robots like start walking out of the closet and then the jammers get activated and they start reacting with like pain just going oh ah and they're like <laughs> doubling up and i don't know what to think of the fact that superman programmed his robots to interpret signal interference as pain that'd be like programming your phone to find it painful if it loses bars hmm I mean, I guess like hmm. what, what's 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 the line from uh, DBZA? Pain is imperative to know when you are in peril. Uh, on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, it seems like an intentional fear? design flaw, if you ask me, and a sadistic one. Yeah. And that kind of you know like that's one of the reasons that tangent. Uh, that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me most about the Seagull stories is like there are some cool moments whether they're intentional or not like I like that thought there's another bit uh, where uh, yeah like there's a bit where 
uh, Linda is reacting sadly over something. It's uh, she is commiserating and being vulnerable with uh, the adoptive mother, and I'm trying to remember why. Let me see if I can find it. But it's a moment of genuine vulnerability from this character, and we don't see that. Hmm. We don't see that in any of these, and I can't find the screenshot because I actually did screenshot it. Um, like there are these moments that are really interesting and really cool. And I don't know to what degree they're intentional. Uh, the art is kind of the same way. Like there's some interesting, uh, some interesting shots where like, uh, Kara will be like mugging for the camera pretty hard, but it'll be a little bit of that. Like, Oh, let's zoom in to show emotion. And it's inexpertly done. It's not nearly as like, uh, intimate or up close as like early Green Lantern, but at least it's something. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's like fumbling steps towards, oh, emotion. But a couple moments is not the same as a good, well structured story. So eh. I definitely have, god damn it, Siegel uh, written <laughs> down a couple times. Yeah, Jim Mooney, his art's solid. It's, it's house style. Uh, yeah. He doesn't do especially interesting uh, uh, paneling. The layouts are pretty standard. Uh, a lot of the poses are very standard. But then he has those moments that are solid. But you know, nothing special. Yeah, that pretty much covers my stuff. Just I keep going. I keep scrolling through my list of notes, and just the amount of times I'm just like, "What the fuck? You're better than this." <laughs> That's a schlubby ending. I have it uh, for two eighty three when the uh, oh god this this one hurt especially badly uh, at the end of two eighty three uh, the resolution of one of the storylines is that they're able to they get uh, a sparacolicin uh, serum to somebody uh, mm. and it successfully brings him back. Uh, but, quote, what a shame our supply was the only amount of it in existence and the formula has just been destroyed in a fire. And so that the status quo remains the same and they don't have any questions later from readers of, oh, hey, what happened to that super serum? Or uh, is someone going to be down as a uh, I, I have that down as a schlubby. They had parachutes ending. Yeah. Or are they going to use it on somebody that doesn't have Supergirl helping them and it's not going to work and they're going to be like assholes because they tried to use a serum that doesn't actually have any proven success rate? Nope. That was where my brain went. I was like, they're not going to know if that really works. <laughs> like, that's not a good that's not a good test subject. He's, he has super interference and super help. Like, that could not work. We don't know. <laughs> From now on, whenever one of my A-B tests comes back with... Uh, insignificant results in the sense of like statistical significance i'm just going to say supergirls in the system yes supergirls in the system is incredibly good for that and that pretty well wraps up my stuff you got anything else you want to go over no i think we've covered pretty much everything do you have any recommendations kind of so i've been thinking about this one recently so i was a big critical role fan uh through like their the end of their first campaign and i'm still like i'm caught up but 
they're a year into their new campaign and it it has not resonated as well with me uh that's unfortunate and i'm sort of processing why my tastes aren't clicking quite as well with it uh but one thing that they did do recently was they had a essentially a flashback one session game of their old campaign uh actually right it's set like right after the end of the campaign so if you haven't listened or watched to critical role uh don't jump in there that would be a bad idea (laughs) uh jump in on episode 40 it's the start of the uh of the best uh story arc at well the best early story arc uh you don't really need anything before that uh but it was just nice to get back to these characters that a like they were super comfortable playing because they had been playing those characters for five years at that point when they put them down and b i liked going back to those characters and it sort of cemented that it wasn't just me being different it was i i resonated differently with those characters and personally i think it's because you're more of a fan of the soap opera I think there's a lot of that. <laughs> that's that's that was those characters, and for me, I didn't like that as much. Mm. Now, I'm not that's saying fair. I like the Mighty Nine, the new characters, more than I do the previous ones, but I, I haven't seen enough of this story yet to say whether or not I like it as much. Because for me, I liked the I liked the A plot over their interpersonal plot. Um, I like the story that Mercer is telling with their characters over the stories that they are telling with each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's personally because of whether or not I like the characters that they've made. Um, So that's interesting. And I think that might be why you're having problems is because there is no soap opera between any of them at the moment, but also they've only been doing it for a year compared to the four to five years that you watch the other characters. So we haven't gotten there yet, but yeah, that's but no you're definitely right the search for grog is very good and i'm going to actually recommend another thing from the critical role cast that is a complete one shot that you don't have to see anything uh, else uh beforehand mauritius honey heist um, oh yeah <laughs> if you want to just see a bunch of people playing D in a completely absurd situation watch marisha ray who is a member of the critical role cast dm a game where everyone is bears trying to steal honey from a festival it is hilarious it makes me laugh every time i watch it and it is just pure goofiness um that is also on the critical role channel you don't need to watch any anything to preface it it's just them having a good time while they take a hiatus and it's very fun so i would suggest watching that i think the guy who wrote the game that that game uh, honey heist has I'm trying to remember, like, he's certainly done a couple of those kinds of things. There's another one about uh, raccoons in, like, Fast and the Furious-style L.A. racing. Uh, good, good. I think there was good. a game jam of Animals and Crimes. I like it. Solid. Solid. That's the other one. I need to dig through the uh, Sad Mecca, or me- I think I think Sad Mecca uh, game jam is what it's called. Emotional Mecca game jam. <laughs> okay. And it's just, there's a lot of stuff in here and a lot of good names. All right. I think that'll about do it for this episode. We will be moving on to another character soon. Uh, we're just slowly whittling our way down the, the cast as it gets larger and larger. 
Um, perhaps we will do some Legion of Superheroes soon. That might be fun. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for listening, and we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Midvale was getting a bit weirder, more gimmicky since Siegel moved in, and we weren't exactly fans. For the next few days, though, we were done with Earth. Following the directions we'd been given, we made our way to the middle of nowhere, waiting for the Zeta Beam. We were heading back for more adventures on Ran.